the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Powell open. Hot. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 53-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Powell. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Mustertiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined on the line by football analyst William Gardner. William, different situation here. Obviously, we can't be face-to-face, so we uh, have a new setup here for the podcast. Well, I'm hoping this works, uh, and, and that this will be a, maybe a new way of doing things, I guess. Yeah, you know, obviously, uh, the, the current situation really makes you appreciate a lot of things, including sports. Woke up today, saw that ESPN is going to have a horse competition with some NBA players, and that got me excited. That, that's when you know you're really desperate for some sports, when you're excited about a horse competition. A horse, a horse competition. Hey, maybe we should do a virtual horse competition on the, on the board or something of that nature. There we go. But, uh, yeah, you know, one, one of the things about this, in my shoes, it gets you to be a little bit creative. You know, we did the Mount Rushmore feature. We brought back the right. Throwback Thursday feature. I've been able to catch up with some former buffs, and Lance Carl uh, did an hour interview with me. So uh, that's the positive end of it. But, uh, you know, the longer sports are put on pause, uh, you know, the, the more impatient I'm getting. What, what about you? Right. Well, same thing, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people don't have a lot going on right now because people aren't going to work or what have you. I'm going to work every morning. Uh, they've got me being the one person to come into the office and kind of do everything, so I keep myself a little busy. But certainly it's uh, getting to be a down, dead time for a lot of people with, with not a lot going on. I guess everybody's binge-watching TV shows. Yeah, have you got into any new TV shows? No, we, we've been watching some movies and stuff. We saw a movie uh, called The Gentleman, which was awesome. We really liked that. But uh, we got our, our usual stuff that we watch, and so nothing new so far. Awesome. Well, obviously the Buffs are, are having to meet virtually right now. The NCAA initially came out and said that uh, virtual meeting time is going to be limited to, to two hours for football. The Pac-12 appealed that shortly thereafter. It got extended to four hours. But you talk about four hours in a, in a given week with a new staff. That That's tough to get a whole lot accomplished in that time, wouldn't you think? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're used to meeting face-to-face in an actual meeting room with everybody in there and, and coaches getting to know their players and you can put stuff up on a monitor, or put stuff up on a whiteboard and what have you. And, I, you know, we've been doing everything in court has been virtual and there's always hiccups and it's not as smooth as just being face-to-face. So, yeah, I, I think it limits them to to a lot in a lot of ways, frankly, but at least they can get to get them together and talk to them and you know you can still i think it's the coaches still need to call their kids call their players maybe almost daily i don't know check in and with them and develop the relationships at least that way so it does limit you but it like you said about doing the the, the stampede board it uh, requires you to be creative and whoever figures out how to be more creative is going to get more out of it yeah that's true uh, kind of a weird analogy maybe but i don't know if you have ever online dated before you can text message a girl, you can FaceTime them, but then when you meet them in person, it's a whole different dynamic, right? And you can know five right. minutes into yeah. that, that date that it's just not, it's, it's, it's different. But uh, yeah, you've got to work with what you can right now. I have a sense, or I have a feeling that, you know, if they do indeed, the players come back on campus this summer and the season has started on time, obviously a huge if at this point, but I would imagine you're probably, you would probably see a lot of injuries this season, wouldn't you think? I mean, 
you've got guys that have varying degrees of equipment that they can work with right now. Uh, and it's going to be tough to get in, sh- in game shape in a short period of time, at least for a lot of you guys. Well, you know, I was looking down the list of topics. And I was uh, trying to make sure that I wasn't jumping ahead of us. But, you know, you, you can't. I don't think you can have the season unless you can have, well, I would say very minimum of 60 days in the weight room with the strength coach, preferably 90 days. I think if you ask most, most strength coaches, they'd say 90 days. I don't think you can play this game safely if you can't do that. And so that's where I think the question mark with regards to the – to the playing the regular schedule comes in. If they can't get in there at some point in May and start have May, June, July, maybe August to actually lift heavily, uh, I don't think you can play this season because you will have lots of injuries and you may have lots of serious injuries because you're just not prepared. This is not a game that you can just show up and play. You have to prepare for it. And the, the weight room is as important for injury protect, for prevention as it is you know, just to uh, be dominant on the field. Yeah, we've seen different viruses, obviously not as severe as the coronavirus, but flu is going around a football team and it can wipe out kind of a team. What happens if you get close to the season opener and, you know, teams start having issues within their locker room? You're going to have to cancel games. It's going to be kind of a mess. It's it's hard to imagine that this season would start on time and not have any issues as a result of this. Right. Well, you start getting back and practicing. and Obviously, you're in close contact and you're breathing hard. And, you know, this is a disease that respiratory uh, means. And if you're breathing hard, you're expelling more of stuff. And somebody gets a, somebody gets a positive test for coronavirus on a team, I don't know, maybe that team is done. So, I don't yeah. – you know, the problem is we don't we, – we don't know how the whole thing is going to play out at this point. We don't know how society in general is going to go about going back to work. So it's hard to predict how it will play out for football teams. Yeah, so much uncertainty. Uh, I guess we'll just kind of, the rest of the show, go work off of what we can at this point. And are there any ways that the coronavirus pandemic really hurts the Buffs specifically or helps them specifically with any staff coming in, in your opinion? Well, I couldn't think of any way that it helps us, but I think it hurts us specifically insofar as um, it probably hurts us more than any other team in the country, to be perfectly honest with you, just because of the circumstances uh, under which we had to hire a new coach. So the guy whose name I won't say anymore who left us and really screwed us hard with our pants on, I'd have to edit that out. But the way that that happened, we had to hire a coach, and and he never got to work with this team before this started happening. So our coach and our new staff have not done anything with these players. Um, I don't know. I can't remember the timing exactly, but I'm not even sure they were on campus to even meet all their players at this point. Generally speaking, you do a you do a staff change and you get a new head coach. Hopefully, by end of December, early January, and you got a few weeks. If that would have happened the regular way, then Carl Durrell would have had a few weeks to get to know guys and be in the weight room and meet them and talk to them. As it is now, it's not clear to me whether some of these uh, assistant coaches have even met some of their players. So. I think that really hurts us. And then when you've got a new coaching staff, you need more time in meeting and, and on the field to get your, your system put in and what have you. So I think it really, really, really hurts Colorado more so than any other team in the country. And I hate to be the bearer of yeah, bad news, but that's kind of how I see it. I thought one benefit might be just that they would have more time as a staff to put together their schemes. And I, I still think there is, uh, you know, some benefit to that. But Carl Durrell made a good point on a conference call he had with us media members, and he said, you know, sometimes as a coach you can be in the lab too long and you start making it too complicated. And he made the point that if you can't get your scheme through the players, and this was part of the issue we saw during the Dan Hawkins era, was if they can't go out there and execute, it doesn't matter how smart your scheme is, it's going to fail. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's going to be a big key, and they're going to probably have to limit a lot of had hope to do to begin with, because we're not going to have time to implement those things if we have a season this year. So, um, I think it, it, there, there is some advantage to this coaching staff being able to have some time to figure out exactly what they want to do with each other, particularly in the circumstance on the offense, where Darren Chivarini goes back to being offensive coordinator again and starts to work with Durrell and, and everybody else on that staff to figure out exactly what they want to do. So that's somewhat of an advantage, but then it's kind of on the other side of that, they're not going to have time to implement anything they have, they have really, so they're going to have to keep it simple, I think. 
Some recent news, three new tight ends joining the mix as walk-on transfers. Jake Peters from Arizona, who was a, a three-star recruit coming out of high school in California, was a guy that busts were actually recruiting out of high school. Matt Lynch uh, transferring in as a grad transfer from UCLA, obviously went to Legacy High School, played quarterback there, and early on at UCLA before transitioning over to tight end. And then Nick Fisher from William Jewell College uh, had uh, a quite a season there, obviously playing at a lower level. Taylor Embry comes in, and, and I'm sure he almost had maybe had a, a moment of panic when he saw that, you know, what he was inheriting just from an experience standpoint, aside from Brady Russell, of course, but Jared Poblowski goes in for surgery again. And so, right. you know, obviously this is not a situation where you're knowing Taylor Embry as a great recruiter, but to bring in those three guys as walk-ons, and all of a sudden I don't think you're quite as concerned with that position. Well, yeah, you know, it gives you some bodies on there, and, and um, I'm, I'm trying to pull it. There's the eligibility chart I want to look at. But, um, yeah, to come in like that and immediately find three guys, uh, all of whom have experience playing some college football, uh, you know, obviously one of them at a, at a much lower level, another one mostly at a different position. Uh, but then um, the third one, Jake Peters, is a guy who was actually recruited as a tight end, you know, and, and a guy that we thought pretty highly of originally. So I think that's pretty pretty impressive. And yeah, when he came when he came in here, all he really had was Brady Russell and and then the son of uh, the defensive line coach that left. So and then two incoming guys, obviously. But so we'll see how they play out. Luke still Luke Stillwell is there, I guess. But yeah, I think that gives him some bodies to work with at least in practice. I like Jake Peters. Nick Fisher's a big guy. Don't know much else to say about him beyond that. And then Matt Lynch, curious to see what he'll bring to the table as a tight end or, or somebody they can use maybe moving around and getting them out in, in, in on the field and what have you. So we'll see how they work out. But it certainly puts some bodies in there, and it doesn't uh, count as a strike against us for scholarships. Yeah. Draft Kings and, and Caesars out in Vegas both set the over-under on number of Colorado wins at three in 2020. Obviously expected that number to be low just because of the situation with Mel Tucker leaving and the fact that Colorado hasn't had success recently. But I was a little bit surprised it was as low as three. What was kind of your reaction? Well, I think three is kind of ridiculous. I think I think if they'd have said four, that's probably something you could make an argument for. I I really still think that the over and under should probably rest at five. I don't know. You know, there's not – this team has a very veteran defense coming back. The defensive staff in large part remains the same, that we got some really good players there. I guess I understand how people look at it and go, well, you're losing your quarterback and your uh, Heisman candidate receiver, and, and so everything's going to go down the drain. But I think, you know, we see it from a different perspective, and I sort of look at it, and obviously there's been a lot of debate about this, but I almost feel like in a way – our, our offense could be more dynamic without Montez and LaVisca simply because we will not be relying on them so much. I think sometimes in the last couple of years, our offense you know, rose and fall with those two guys, and we didn't spread it out to all the other people. So now we're, we're, we're brand new. Well, we got a lot of guys coming back, a lot of new faces, but a lot of old faces as well. And it'll be the task of Shiverini and that offensive staff to get the ball spread out to a lot of different guys instead of trying to force it to the same guy over and over. So so from that perspective, I think it could be we could make it into a positive. But I, I still think five over and under is five, and I still think six is what we're shooting at. And I, I take away the coronavirus part of this, and I would have been very excited about going into this season, um, thinking we have a possibility with who we had coming back to, to get six or seven or maybe even eight wins. So... Now we have the uncertainty, and, and with the coaching change and what have you, it's hard to say. But I guess I get where they're coming from with all the things going on with us. But I still think it should be a higher number. So are you recommending every CU fan uh, rush out and put some money down on this? Uh, well, hey, you know, you do what you <laughs> want to do with your own money. But if I had some money, I'd put it on. I think I'd put it on the over for sure. But then again, I you know, right. it's, such a, it, it's such a toss-up right now with what's going on. I, I'd like to see a spring ball with these guys before I really made a decision. Yeah, that's the crazy part is we're basing this all. I mean, the last time we saw these guys on the field was was late November, so that's pretty crazy there. Uh, One thing that happened uh, right after our last show that we did about a month ago, 
was the weight room leaders were announced. Offensive lineman Terry Cush, Colby Purcell, Valentin Sen were at the top of the squat max leaderboard, and then you had Nate Landman, Terrence Lang, Cannon Ray, and Brady Russell all maxing out at 500 pounds. Linebackers Akil Jones and Jamar Montgomery led the combo players on the squat leaderboard at 475 pounds. And maybe the, the most impressive on this whole list was true freshman quarterback Brennan Lewis maxing out at 455 pounds on the squat. And then uh, you had some skill players, Deion Smith and Isaiah Lewis, at 480 pounds, 475 pounds respectively. And then Colby Purcell was at the top of the bench press leaderboard at 415 pounds. Anything surprise you in terms of uh, kind of the weight room numbers we saw released in terms of the leaders uh, this winter? Not really too much. I think um, it, it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because they were doing so well and they were putting up such good numbers and now they kind of have to stop and it's going to take a while for them to get back up to that level. One name I sort of uh, was hoping to see more in those listings was Will Sherman, William Sherman. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that Colby Purcell is up there because he's known to be a workhorse. I like seeing Kerry Cush in there because, you know, as a fifth-year senior, and I think he's a guy that, that could really come on this year and, and have a big season, so I like seeing that. But obviously, uh, you know, seeing any kind of a freshman, much less a, a quarterback in those kinds of ratings is uh, a surprise to you. So that's nice to see from him. Um, if, he, if, he, if he can play quarterback as well as he lifts weights, he's going to be pretty good. So no, nobody really jumps out at me as, as being too surprising. Um, I can't remember the, the list entirely. I'd like to have seen Terrence Lang and Mustafa Johnson in there more. Uh, but otherwise, it looked good to me. Well, yeah, Terrence Lang, was he maxed out at 500. And then I think Mustafa was actually second behind Colby Purcell in uh, bench press. Um, but, oh, yeah, perfect. I mean, you, you, yeah. But another thing that happened right after we recorded our last show on March 6th, was Antonio Alfano was uh, suspended by Carl Durrell. Uh We see him on social media. He's still working out in CU gear. He's still hanging out in Colorado. Maybe this whole situation allows him to hit the reset button. But uh, at the same time, I'd probably caution Colorado fans not to hold their breath on that. I mean, uh, I still have a feeling like anything they could possibly get out of him uh, would be a, a pleasant surprise. Well, what are your expectations right. with him? Well, you know, I was I was optimistic when he got here prior to all the current craziness that uh him being able to to, you know, build a relationship with Chris Wilson and and with Drew Wilson um both would would be good for him. Obviously, he's a young man that's got some issues and he's got to deal with those issues. There were there were hints of that at the time that he transferred out of Alabama and of course, you know, you, know, you never know whether to take that too seriously or if it's sour grapes from the place they left or what have you, but clearly there are issues going on here, um, and he's a kid that probably needs to grow up a little bit or needs to figure out some things. But the fact that he's still in the state and, you know, at least he's – well, at least we got photos of him in a weight room. Don't know how hard he's working in there, but that's a positive sign, and, and we'll see what happens with that. But I think until – He's he's a he's a young man that I think needs to build some relationships with some older mentors. Uh, there are two the two guys I mentioned that I think would be perfect for him, but until they can all get face to face, I'm not sure how much uh, how much difference they can make in his life. He's a guy obviously with a talent. If he if he gets his head together, could be all world. But I'm with you. I'm a little bit skeptical that we'll ever see much um, at this point, and I and I. I guess you could look at it both ways. Maybe this break is an opportunity for him to get his head together, but then, then again, maybe he just needs to be busy doing something all the time, and I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Caden Dudley, Anthony Costanzo, Braylon Nelson no longer on the Buffs 2021 and 2022 commitment list. With Dudley and Costanzo, it was a situation where the staff kind of told them, hey, open up your recruitment, so kind of a mutual type situation. We'll, we'll see how that goes going forward. Uh, so really not a big surprise based on what Carl Durrell told those guys with his first talk with them. We got a question about Chase Penry, uh, who is still who is still on the, the commitment list, and I'll uh, I'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, anything with that surprise you? I mean, at this point, with everything going on in the world, I, I wouldn't be too concerned with 2021 recruiting just because it's going to be a smaller class. Obviously, uh, you know, this staff has a little bit more time to start 
offering some kids from this class because they've got time to really sit down and watch a lot of recruiting film. But I don't know, with recruiting, I would just kind of tell CU fans to, to kind of be patient at this point because you can't bring kids on campus anyway. Right. I think, you know, the feature on the front of the board, on the front of the website today um, is ranking all the Pac-12 classes. And I think if people look at that, I think they might feel a little bit better because there's some pretty good programs on there with no no commits yet at this point. Um, with this, with respect to the specific guys we're talking about, I don't know. You know, I don't want to get in trouble by saying the wrong thing, but I'm a little bit jaded on, on in-state guys right now. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm blown away by Dudley or Costanzo by anything I've seen from them. And I'm not, I really don't want to be the guy sour grapes because they're not committed to us before, but I don't know when they committed, I, I my sort of thought was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. And now that they're not committed. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. doesn't really matter to me much. Braylon Nelson, I think has a lot more upside than either one of the other two to, to be perfectly honest with you, given his size and ability to move. But I also understand where the kids are coming from in terms of the fact that it's a new coaching staff and they don't have the ability to get up and meet these guys. So, um, from where they're coming from, it kind of makes sense to open things up. Uh, it does sort of sound to me like maybe we backed off a little bit with the new staff on uh, Dudley, at least, maybe, and um, maybe you have more say to that. But I don't know. It, it doesn't bother me too much not to have the, the, the Dudley and Costanzo on the commit list. It's a long way before anybody signs for this class, much less signs for the class after that. So we'll wait and see. And I, you know, I'm firmly of the opinion that get good talent from wherever they come from. We got a lot of kids on the team from Colorado, and we always will have. So whether we get these specific three kids or not, let's just fill the class with talent because what we need is players from wherever they come from. Yeah, yeah, and th- and that is maybe the one positive you can look at if you're looking for silver lining is the fact that there's only nine scholarship seniors on the roster, so it's going to be a really small class. Yeah, I mean, if they were in a situation where they're going to have to sign 25 guys next December, then I would start to be a little bit concerned at this point just because it's going to be a hard to fill up a class that big. But, again, it's going to be a smaller class this year. Uh, we did a right. Rushmore feature, which I mentioned, uh, where no, no surprises here. We, we put it out to the Inside the Herd message board and, and got their opinions on the four guys that have made the biggest impact, uh, You know, whether it's a player or a coach on – CU football in its history, Byron Wizard, White, Bill McCartney, Rashawn Salam, and Darian Hagan were the guys that got the most votes there. My wife actually helped me put together the graphic for that. She did a great job with it. I uh, was curious your take on that. Would you agree with those four? Or, uh, did, did, do you have a different idea of what uh, Mount Rushmore or Mount Buffmore, I guess, is a better way to put it, which Mount, should, Mount you know, should look like? See, I would change that. Okay, so obviously I think – obviously I think – Number one has to be Byron Wizard White. Obviously, he played before any of us were born, except for Pekla. I think he watched him play. But uh, he's he's clearly, in terms of what he did on the field and what he did afterwards, would be number one to me. Uh, I would also go along with Bill McCartney. I'm not sure if I'd make him the number two guy, but he certainly is someone who put this program in a place where it had never been before. So absolutely him. Um and then I guess you got to decide what it is you're looking for. So the number three guy to me is Eric Bieniemy, absolutely Eric Bieniemy, over um, Darian Hagen or or um, Rashawn Salam. And the reason I say that is you go back to those those teams, 1989, 1990, the national championship team. The heart of that team was not Darian Hagen. The heart of that team, the beating heart of that team, was was uh, Eric Bieniemy who was a fiery competitor and, and lifted people up and got people to work hard all season long. And then, you know, he's, uh, I don't know if he's still, I guess he's not our leading rusher anymore. Is he still? I can't remember, but uh, I would he put is, Eric yeah. Bannemi up there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so he's our all time leading rusher. How do you not pick him? I take him over Rashawn, even though Rashawn won a Heisman, because I think uh, O.C. Oliver had a, had a better body of work over, over four years of playing. Um, and then to me, I guess, I don't know. I guess I, I would I would look at somebody before I went with Darian or, or Rashawn. I'm I'm frankly thinking of of somebody like uh, uh, Alfred Williams maybe, um, and or somebody 
that that sort of stands out. I, I suppose I suppose the other the last three for that final spot to me would be Alfred Williams, Rashawn Salam, and Darren Hagan. I could see those three, and I think I probably might go with with Alfred because. I don't know. It's hard, you know. When you, I start to, I was going to say because he meant more to his team, but then Darian and Rashawn meant a lot to their teams too. So it's kind of a hard decision when you get down to that last one for me. But absolutely, my first three would be um, Wizard White and Bill McCartney, and then uh, Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, the guys you mentioned, Alfred Williams and Eric Bieniemy, did receive votes, and there was. You know, a lot of people that even just submitted three names and said, I can't even choose a fourth just because maybe you are splitting hairs. I can see the reasoning with Rashawn Salam being the only Heisman Trophy in program, in right. program history. And then you, you can probably factor in, and you probably should factor in, during Hagen's coaching career as well. You know, the fact that he's coached 3,000-yard cool. rushers and has done a pretty good job there and, and has continued to, to stay around the program and kind of be a link to, to, to the glory days. Um, so I think that into it as well. Well, and I think we ought to have a there, Mount Rushmore of linemen. Okay. That's not a bad, bad a Mount, uh, idea. Mount of linemen. We limit it to just offensive and defensive linemen. Or we could do it, you know what, if we really want to, we really are killing for time, uh, we could do it for each, each position. Hey, as long, if this coronavirus postpones or cancels the season, uh, I'm going to be de- searching real deep for content. So, uh, right. th- th- I'm def- definitely not ruling that out as, out as a possible uh, content feature coming down the pipe here. Well, let's jump into There's the Buck Stampede mailbag. We threw it out to fans on the Inside the Herd message board, and our first question comes from Nippus13. He asked, can I, can, I can I jump in with uh, something first real quick? Sure. Yeah, I was just when I was listening to the intro and they had the plays. The first play on there was that uh, half pass from O.C. O. Oliver to Lance Carl, and I was there. And, uh, and uh, it just really brought back a lot of memories of that game. We hadn't beat Nebraska in 20 years, I think, and we got up early. And the, I just wanted to share this um, because I remember being on the sidelines and there was one guy up in the stands. The whole game long, he kept screaming, they still don't respect you. They still don't respect you. And then when we, we threw that pass and got the touchdown, it was kind of pandemonium. And uh, I just remember that guy up there the whole time kind of like saying, don't let down, don't let down. Um, and I don't know why that, that came to mind when I heard that play, but I just wanted to share it. That's awesome, yeah. Uh, I've been doing Throwback Thursday features, and I've actually I've got a, had a lot of Lance Carl content on the site, and I've got one more coming, uh, you know, on that play, him kind of reliving that moment. You know, what Lance Carl has done since then, uh, he's obviously known for a lot more than that, but uh, from his playing days, that, I mean, that you talk about historical plays. Do you think that's top ten in program history? That play? Uh yeah, I think you well, okay, now now I have to stop and think about all the other plays that have come along in, in CU history, but that play won that game. Well, in that game there were two plays. There was another there was a reverse by Soupy Campbell that was huge. But that play right there was probably the one that wins the game. I guess the score was twenty to ten, so you can make an argument. And that winning that game probably did as much to build the Bill McCartney as any other game I can think of during that time. Cause we had, you know, they were, I think they were number three in the country and we hadn't beat them in 20 years. So winning that game really made the players believe in coach McCartney and that play was instrumental in winning that game. So yeah, I think it's one of the top five in program history for sure. That's awesome. But yeah, let's uh, get into the bus stampede mailbag from Nippus 13. He asked, I'm not sure how much access you have had to Coach Durrell to answer this accurately, but on a scale of 1 through 10, 1 being Mike McIntyre-level recruiting and 10 being midnight recruiting, where is Coach Durrell and staff right now in your opinion? I know social media is not close to the same level right now, but I'm hoping that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. Well, first off, I would probably take issue with his scale here. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would probably give Mike McIntyre recruiting a 3 and Mel Tucker probably at an 8. Would you disagree with that? Yeah, I was going to – I don't know. Maybe I'm a soft grader. I I would say McIntyre 
later, you know, when when uh, Severini got on board, I would say it's a four or five, and then I would say uh, that uh, the other guy, I can't even get my brain to say his name. I don't I don't know that he's as high as an eight. I think he can go higher. I would say he's a seven. I mean, they did put together the best class on paper they've had. But, right, but I was okay. there in the nineties with I was I was there in the nineties with McCartney when it was tens. So I know what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He wants us to to give a rating for Carl Durrell. Obviously, it's way too early to give a definitive yeah. answer here. You know, his he has put together a staff with with some good recruiters. And uh, in our last Q and A with Lance Carl, he talked about uh, that they understand, and, and Carl Durrell understands that everybody on his staff has to recruit. But that's one of those things. The, the proof is in the pudding. I, I don't want to just put a rating on him right now. Well, he, he's not going to, he's going to be a different recruiter than Mel Tucker. That's for sure. Right. He's going to, it's got to be an incomplete right now. I mean, who can say there's no way to know. Um, and whether, you know, depending, doesn't matter how much access you have. The problem is they cannot meet with these kids. They can call them up and they can text them and they can do all the, the social media stuff. But until you can meet people face to face, until you can go to the high schools yourself, until you can, until the kids can come to Boulder themselves, you really don't have any idea. I would say that I'm, um, um, I'm somewhat uh, feeling positive about some of the offers I'm seeing going out at certain positions. Not so thrilled about some of the offers at other positions, but at this point, there's just not enough information to say. It's going to be hard to rank really high in the Pac-12. Again, it's going to be a smaller class, and unfortunately, these recruiting rankings are weighted a little bit too heavily in just the number of guys in each class. And so that's going to hurt them this year as well. So it's going to, you're going yeah. to hope for quality over quantity, obviously this year in, right. in, in the situation again with the coronavirus, not being able to take visits. It does, it lines up well for this year to be a small class with recruiting. Um, so right. not that I didn't want to answer your question, but uh, it, it just, it would be egregious and kind of irresponsible to do that. I think at this point, yeah, and I Movie think uh, I think uh, I was going to say, just going to say, you know, we need to we need to address specific positions with this smaller class, and uh, just uh, shout out to Nips. I hope your new business is, is holding up under all this. No, no doubt. Movie Buff asked, "What are you and the fam doing to stay sane and busy?" William, you already said you're well, you're, uh, you're having to go into the office every day. You're watching uh, some some movies with the lady. What, what you guys cooking at home? How, how are you guys uh, staying fed? Well, so my wife Kathy is a she's a head nurse. She's the nurse manager of a big a medical floor at the university hospital. So she goes to work and works a full day every day. And she actually has to work some nights uh, as management in what they call their control center. So she's working full time, and then I'm working. I'm 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 in at seven most mornings and work until early afternoon most days. And then I come home and I don't know catch up with the board and watch TV shows and read books, I guess. And believe it or not, our personal routine has not changed a whole lot because we're both in so-called critical uh, positions, so we keep working. Yeah, well, we applaud you guys for continuing to yeah. do that uh, for sure. I am uh, staying sane by – fortunately, the weather's been pretty nice recently. So we've got three kids between the ages of 8 and 11, and just being able to get out for walks and, and walk the dog, is, if it wasn't for that, I, I probably would have gone stir crazy by now. But, yeah, yeah we're doing a lot of cooking at home. We <laughs> – catching up on all the shows that uh, we've been wanting to get around to watching and, uh, you know, just hanging out with the kids, you know, really the, trying to find a benefit in it. Just, a, you know, in, in daily life, sometimes it goes by so fast that you, you don't have that time to really spend, you know, have family movie nights. We had a week where when the kids right. were on spring break, everybody in the family got to pick out a movie and we all sat down and watched it. And so just little things like that are, are, are keeping us busy and keeping us sane, but uh, definitely, you know, it's harder the longer this goes and goes on. Uh, and, and I'm really miss going to the gym. I really miss that. Yeah. Well, that's a big thing too, because that's what we used to do. We do, would do first thing in the morning. We're not doing that. So trying to get up and go walk and do push ups and all that kind of stuff to keep that going. I will say I, I hadn't played video games in probably, Gosh, 20 years, maybe 18 years. I'm just ha have not had the time for it. And uh, 
I downloaded NBA Jam, so that's been fun, a, a golf game. So uh, whenever I've yeah. got a little time to, to play video games. But as, as soon as this pandemic is over, I'm putting the, the controller away for good. It, it just, you know, I feel kind of lazy, but it's maybe the one time you can do it and not feel guilty about it. Right, exactly. Movie Buff also wanted to get our predictions on our 2020 offensive, defensive, and special team MVPs. Well, in Aquahead, I, I think at this point on offense, there's so many question marks. We don't know, you know, so who's going to fill in those receiver spots and, and who's going to be the starting quarterback, obviously. Uh, nobody wants me to pick an offensive lineman, uh, although I think there's several that I that, that I would take into, a, into, into consideration. But I suppose looking at who's done what they've done before and what they have coming back, I'd say for offensive MVPs, I, I'd say – to me, the first piece people I'm looking at is Katie Nixon, um, maybe Dimitri Stanley, Brady Russell, and Alex Fontenot. I know not everybody on the board is sold on Alex Fontenot, but I'm very high on him, and I think he might have a very big season. Uh, you know, the, the offensive line as a whole could be an MVP this year because we're looking at some pretty good guys. On defense, um, well, I think it starts with Nate Landman, Mustafa Johnson and Carson Wells and Terrence Lang, to me, those those guys up front have to really make something happen to take some pressure off the guys in the backfield. So uh, I suppose if I had to pick one, it'd be Nate Landman, and then number two after him would be Mustafa Johnson. So, you know, what's got me thinking also, and maybe this is something we could talk about in just a minute, but, you know, some of these seniors really need this season to make their case to the NFL for playing time. None more so than Mustafa Johnson, frankly. So those would be the names that I threw out there. As far as special teams, I think it's probably uh, Dimitri Stanley, maybe. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with anything you said. Offensively, I stared at that for a while and was like, gosh, how do you pick this? I I wrote down William Sherman just kind of by default. I, I feel like he's the most likely as of right now to be an all-conference guy this year or at least be a preseason yeah. all-conference guy. And then defensively, I yeah, think I think you got to go with Nate Lamon. And then special teams actually said James Steph. He went in for hip surgery. As long as he's healthy, when he's been healthy, he's been pretty darn consistent. Right. I don't, you know, the, the games he's had issues in are the games that he's been trying to grit it out and play through pain. And so, you know, maybe just getting healthy for him. And Daniel Arias as a gunner has been really good too. I'd, I'd imagine they'll probably try to keep him. Uh, in that role going forward as well. You know, I think looking at the defense again, you know, I, I've been saying this for a couple of years, uh, you, you, when, and it struck my mind when you said if he's healthy. If he's healthy, Carson Wells is a guy who's a game changer. Yeah. Movie Buff also asked, out of all the newcomers, who will have the biggest impact this season? Do you have any thoughts here? I mean, Brendan Lewis, if he wins the job, it's got to be him, right? Right. Right, it's it's bot. I mean, there's no that's a no brainer. Frankly, if he if he wins the job, he's the guy. No questions asked about it. And then I guess the next guy that jumps in immediately to mind, a guy who I think has to play is Caleb Poirier at tight end. Um, you know, we got these we got three new guys at tight end, but it remains to be seen how much they can do at this level. So uh, he would be a, another one. And then uh, between Christian Gonzalez, maybe and and. Montana, Lamonius Craig, who I still think is the most underrated of our guys. So those guys, Keith Miller, I don't know. There's a lot of good guys coming in, assuming they get in here and can, can get some work done. Yeah, I had a couple other guys written down. Jalen Stryker, who was a cornerback at the JC level, came in at, at about 200 pounds, and it looks like he's going right. to probably factor in at safety. So he's a guy that, given their lack of depth there, if he shows – Again, I mean, I would have needed to see spring ball to feel definitive about that. Another guy right. I thought about was Guy Thomas. Had uh, some Power 5 experience at Nebraska. Had a good season at the J.C. level. So he's a more experienced guy there. And you do see more outside linebackers utilized under Tyson Summers than right. what we saw under McIntyre's staff. So, And then, uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't go with this, but Josh Watts is the most likely newcomer to have a starting job at, at punter. Uh, and that's pretty much a guarantee that he's going to have that job. But uh, right. you better right. hope he doesn't have right. the, the big impact like Darrell O'Neill did as a punter back in 2012. It's always a bad thing when your your punter is a guy that's mentioned a whole lot. 
Right, right. But those those are some excellent names. For for some reason, I wasn't thinking about the transfers. I was just thinking about the freshmen. But those are some excellent. Yeah, Stryker and Thomas, for sure. Wyo Buff asked, what direction do you think the staff will go with remaining 2020 scholarships? When might we hear something? So right now they're at 85 scholarships, and you'd have to assume there will be some attrition. There always is, uh, you know, in, in the springtime leading up to preseason camp. Uh, depending on how many scholarships they have come open, I wouldn't imagine it's going to be a whole lot. Carl Durrell is not trying to run guys off, especially given the circumstances of everything. You want to try to keep as many guys on board as you can. The one spot with, I think, with Sam Neuer coming back and at least giving you a third scholarship quarterback, you've got to look right. for a grad transfer safety if you can. Yeah, safety for sure. You know, and I don't know, who knows, if, if nobody else comes in, maybe one of those tight ends wins one of those scholarships. But, uh, yeah, another safety would be great. Um, but, you know, maybe we don't add anybody. Who, who knows? We'll see. What, everything, you know, everything comes back to me to the coronavirus situation and what's going to happen and will people be leaving where they are. And so I think just a lot remains to be seen. Yeah, and you can say what you will about Mel Tucker. By and large, he left the program in a much better spot from a personnel depth standpoint than he inherited. So there's not a huge, a lot of huge holes in the roster. Tight end was one of them, and Taylor Embry, again, like we talked about earlier in the show, has done a pretty good job of at least getting some right. stop gaps in there. So safety is really the only one that I look at and go, you know, they, they need some help there. Other positions, I think they're going to be just fine. You know, the question is, you know, health and all that stuff. And again, going back to the coronavirus, if they even play this year, but uh, no, I think right. you look at the roster and it's in a better spot than it's been in a long time. Wouldn't you agree? Right. And even, even with the safety position, there's, there's quite a few guys at other positions on this team who could be very good safeties. And, you know, I, I can't remember if it was uh, Carl Durrell or the other guy who alluded to the fact that some of those guys are going to have to move. Yeah, no doubt. T-Town Buff had a handful of questions. The first one was, which receiver will have the biggest impact this season? He wanted to know who we think starts at center. And then he asked, does Alfano actually suit up for the Buffs? We kind of already touched on that. We'll pass by that one. And then his last question was, what does Chev have to do next season as an offensive coordinator for fans to think he was successful? So let's attack this one by one. William, what, what are your thoughts on the receiver that will have the biggest impact next season? You, you talked about Katie Nixon earlier, so I'd imagine that that's who you expect to have yeah. the biggest impact. Well, I think I think him or Dimitri Stanley, the two guys that, that were starters last year, are the first two that you look at for sure. So, um, you know, we've been waiting for Daniel Arias to show up on the field the way he does in practice for a couple of years now. But I think uh, – um, I, I, you know what? I, I couldn't tell you uh, – Nixon and, and Stanley gives you two to start with. Maurice Bell, Jalen Jackson, Arias. There's we got uh, we we have very fortunate to have some really good recruiting at that position. Fontation Alt might even show up and do something. Who knows? Brendan Rice as a true freshman. But I think you have to kind of start with Nixon and Stanley as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I rank them out, and again, this is subject to change once they actually get back practicing. But I had Nixon one. Dimitri Stanley, two, Arias, three, Maurice Bell, four, Jalen Jackson, five, yeah. eight, and then Vontae Chanel, five, B. And then, you know, those two freshmen are all wild cards. They look really good on film. And, right. uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's going to be a situation where the ball is spread out quite a bit. And that's maybe a good thing because one of the issues kind of going along with the the question about Chev, one of the criticisms was is they became too predictable and too LaVisca Chanel oriented. So when he got hurt in week seven against USC, that's when the offense started to struggle. And so that I think, I think it's going to help this offense that you're going to have a lot of different weapons and, and you're not going to rely on one guy. In terms of center, I would imagine Colby Purcell probably will slide back in, wouldn't you think? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it'd be a it'd be an absolute shock to me if Colby Purcell's a uh, barring injury, of course. If Colby Purcell's not the starting center, I would be shocked. Um, you know, everybody wanted to see Carson Lee, but I think uh, of all all the incoming freshmen who are going to be hurt the most by this coronavirus thing, is probably Carson because now he's not going to get the reps there, and he's not going to get the reps in the weight room that he would have needed to really take advantage of being an early entry and and um, 
start as a true freshman going to hold him back? You know, there were some in, uh, injury rumblings before everything kind of came to a halt and some guys had some nicks and bumps and stuff. But, I mean, I think right now you're looking at Colby Purcell and I think the other guys you're looking at at center are Austin Johnson and Carson Lee and um, Josh Gines. I think had some little some little injuries and stuff, but as, as of the, the player-led practices they were having before everything got shut down, I think mostly Carson Lee and Austin Johnson were doing it because uh, Colby and and Josh I think were dinged up a little bit. But as far as I'm concerned, it's Colby Purcell until somebody proves otherwise. Yeah. What about Chev? What, what does he have to do next season? for fans that think that he was successful. You know, offensive coordinator is, is a tough spot just because a lot of people play video games and, and they like right. to think that they can call plays better than the guy that's actually doing it. It's very easy right. to second-guess a play caller. You know, Chev, in 2018, they ranked seventh in the conference in scoring. Yeah, obviously they became way too predictable late in the season. That was a major issue. Right. But it wasn't a, an unmitigated disaster with him as an OC, like some people might want to well, point out. And you would have to assume that he's learned some things by that experience. Well, and I think also, I mean, I think somebody pointed out on the board a while ago that, that statistically speaking, at, at any rate, Shiverini was more successful than, um, now I'm blanking on who do we have last year? Jay Johnson. Jay Johnson, yeah. That statistically, I think Shiverini was even better than Jay Johnson. Um you know, both wound up with five win seasons, so hard to say that one was significantly better than the other. But I think he has to show, um, I don't know, what what does he have to do? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm reluctant to give, like, he has to average a certain number of points a game or a certain number of yards. I think he has to show us an offense that is somewhat unpredictable, um, that's uh, got some balance, gets the ball spread out to people, and can score in the red zone when they need to. Um I don't know. I'm not sure what else to say beyond that. Yeah, I mean, if if they're – again, I, I think the key word you, you said there was unpredictable. If if he can fix that part of what the issue was back in 2018 with him calling plays, then uh, I, I would think that would be a success for uh, the, this coming season as him with him as a play caller. R-Jack 3S. Number one, if the start position is not part of the defensive scheme next year, do you see Mark Perry being more of a free safety or strong safety? So with Tyson Summers being retained, I would imagine they're going to keep a higher role in there. I don't think they want to change a whole lot defensively, especially given that they got better defensively late in the season. What do you think there? I would be surprised if Mark Perry's not not in that star role. Can you read me that question again? I'm, I'm, I was going in order on the board, and now I don't see that one. Position is not part of the defensive scheme next year. Do you see Mark Perry being more of a free safety or strong safety? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think they changed a whole lot from where they were last year. I think Tyson Summers probably feels pretty good about how the defense was coming along late in the year, and he probably wants to stay with him. So I think Mark Perry is a natural for that star position. Um if it, if it, if it went away, I think I'd see him more as a free than a strong. If to answer the question directly, um, I think he's a guy that that covers more ground on the field and, and gets things done there, as opposed to a guy who comes up and is an enforcer more more so. So that's what I would think. But I'm with you. I think they stick with the star, and that's what he ends up doing, unless they can find somebody else in that position. But um, you know, we were talking. I think I think those two safety positions at this point are likely to be Rick Straw and um, Stryker. Yeah, I guess Isaiah Lewis would be the wild card there as well. Jack 3 also asked, if the Buffs go bowling, who are three players that we can point to as surprise contributors who push the team over the hump? Well, first and foremost is whoever plays quarterback, right? Right. If we go bowling, it means somebody filled that quarterback position and did a pretty darn good job at it. So I think that would be the, the first one. I'm not sure I can come up with two others. Uh, I think it would have to be – I think somebody needs to be super dynamic on defense. I think we need a pass rusher. So whether it's Carson Wells or it's Terrence Lang or somebody yet to be determined, 
I think if we go to a bowl game, it means we develop somebody who's a, a 10-plus sack pass rusher. So that would be the second one. And then, I don't know, I guess, I don't know, what do you think? I think just the offensive line as a group, I and mean, that's not a particular player. Right. But if they can kind of build on with what Coach Cap did last year, and, I mean, they could even be as good as they were last year and just cut out the false starts, and I think that would be a surprise contributor that could push the team over the hump, honestly. Yeah, that's a good answer. I think, yeah, I mean, you know, you look at a lot of, a lot of the positions on, on defense, so maybe somebody that steps up at safety maybe, I don't know. But the front seven is pretty set to me, and we're pretty, I'm pretty happy with what I see up there. Um, so yeah, I guess you know the offensive line as a group, maybe somebody step up as a as a safety, a pass rusher, and the quarterback. Maybe you know sometimes you get a guy who takes over as a running back and leads you like that. So that's what I would think. Nice trier asked with all the other 2021 recruits decommitting. Do you have any insight on where Chase Penry stands? So I actually was in uh, communication with Chase Penry just yesterday. Look for a story. I think probably on Sunday or Monday I'm going to have an update on him. He did have another long conversation with Carl Durrell. Uh, so some positive news to report there. So look for that feature on the site. Moving along, Davis Buff asked, though Carl Durrell hired a staff with better individual recruiters for our traditional hotbeds, he doesn't verbalize the importance of recruiting nearly as much as Tucker did. After they got settled in, do you think Coach Durrell's staff will recruit as well as last year's staff? Does losing the three in-state decommits concern you at all? Any word on if there will be a recruiting coordinator in addition to Bob Lopez? So to answer the last question first, Matt Pick and Sam Beckenstein are recruiting assistants, and Lance Carl told me they're going to hire two more recruiting assistants. So uh, they do plan to to have a pretty full recruiting staff there. What what were you going to say there, William? So okay, this okay, this um, this is this kind of pushed a button for me. Um, Tucker talked about a lot of things. Okay, he verbalized things, and none of them turned out to be true. So talk, 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 and he's off halfway across the country doing somewhere else. So all of his talk to me at the end of the day ended up being nothing, right? So he can talk all he wants about recruiting. At the end of the day, it's what you sign on um, signing day. Uh, I think will this staff recruit as well as last year's staff remains to be seen. I think uh, we've hired some guys on this staff who are known really good recruiters that we didn't necessarily have on the last staff. I think Chris Wilson in the past has been a super recruiter. I like what I've seen so far from Coach R. We're going with Coach R, right, on the offensive line coach? Coach Rod. Coach Rod, Coach Rod. I like what I've seen from him so far in terms of uh, his demeanor and his fire and his uh, using of, of uh, social media and what have you. So I'm, I'm somewhat confident he'll do well. Uh, can we say whether they'll do as well or better than last year? Like we talked about earlier, I think it's too early to say. I think it's just too early to say. Yeah, I don't disagree with what you said. Now, Tucker did talk a lot and. Obviously, some of the things he said uh, he was kind of a hypocrite about, but he did say they were going to recruit every day, and they did, and they ended up with the best class on paper since they joined the conference. So that part of it, um, I, I agree yeah. with the guy that asked the question. But I, I would I would jump in there and say that you can also recruit. You So there are people that talk a lot about stuff, and then they do it well and follow back up their talk. But then there are people that don't talk so much and do just as good of a job, okay? So I don't think that you necessarily got to be spouting it out of your mouth every five minutes to be doing a good job. Um, so I guess that's kind of kind of where I'm getting at is that you don't have to be saying it every five minutes to, ha- to be taking it seriously and to have everybody working hard on recruiting every single day. Wyo Buff asked, size of staff versus Tucker's. I know the assistant coach numbers will be the same, but do we have as many GAs, recruiting staff, et cetera? So, yeah, they're going to have the same staff size that Tucker did. I mentioned they're going to hire a couple more recruiting assistants. They do need to bring on a couple GAs, but that, that's going to be done by the time they get to playing games, so it'll be the same staff size. Uh, moving along, Dorno 9 asks, your thoughts on our in-state recruiting, please? Seems like we are slow playing several of, co- of the Colorado high school kids. 
William, you already kind of touched on this earlier, and I couldn't agree with you more. It's maybe an an unpopular stance with some people that work with in-state kids, but frankly, the talent in the state is just not that good. And yes, if you can get some of the top five, some of the top 10 guys in a class, that's great. It feels good. It's good for perception's sake. And it's just great to cheer on those Colorado kids. It was awesome that Carson Lee turned down all those other power five schools was the first kid to commit for 2020. He was a catalyst for the recruiting. He hosted recruits when they, when they would come into town for unofficial visits, they'd stay at his house. That's awesome. You want that. But in terms of talent, give me a top 100 kid from California or Texas over, you know, a borderline Colorado kid every day of the week, twice on Sunday. I just, I think it's way overblown all this in-state stuff. I agree with you and kind of your take earlier in the show. Well, that's what I've been saying for years is let's just sign talent wherever we get them. We'll, we will always sign, we will always have a core of Colorado kids. And, you know, so some people make the, make the point and they say, well, the pe- people will be more interested in the team if we have more Colorado kids. I don't think that's true. I think people are interested in the team when we win games. And I don't think they really care one way or the other. You know, so Carson Lee uh, comes and how many how many how many actual butts does he put in seats in the stands? Right, maybe max thirty. I don't know. You know, he's not going to bring, he's not going to fill up a fifty thousand seat stadium alone. So there's there's positives to be had for sure from having Colorado kids on the on the team, and we're always going to have that core. But you know, you take a look at these two guys that are I, I, again. I like the big linemen, but the other two kids. Um, you know, if you if if those two kids were playing in California or Texas, they would be they would be nobodies. And I don't mean to be mean or talk them down or anything. Whether we lose them or not doesn't really make too, bother me too much. As you pointed out earlier, this is a small class, and we've got to get it right on every single guy. So slowing down a little bit and seeing how these two guys develop, to me, is a, is a smart way of going about things. And let's see who really turns out to be a star. Because we've had a lot of guys from in, in the state of Colorado pitch to us at CU, and not a lot of them have turned out to be that great frankly. And then the guys we found under the radar, like Jalen Sammy, turned out to be something. So let's take it easy and make sure we're right. I've only got a little bit more time here, so we'll go quickly. Optimus Prime Buff had a football recruiting question. He asked, before a recruit is offered a scholarship, how much game film does a coaching staff usually look at? The typical fan like myself usually sees highlights from a recruit's junior year in which the recruit looks like an All-American candidate. CU recently offered a quarterback from Texas Including Katie, how many other coaches on staff have input into offering the quarterback, and does the head coach usually maintain veto power over what other coaches may want? Okay, so can I jump in on that? Sure. So the very the first thing that's going to happen with most recruits is they're going to be looked at by the recruiting GAs, the recruiting coaches, because uh, a program like CU is going to get thousands of hours of film of of players, okay? And so the guys that are the GAs in the recruiting room and the guys who are the the recruiting of uh, whatever they call them, quality control assistants or whatever, the guys doing that, they are going to look at hours of film, and the the film that's going to get passed on to the actual assistant coaches is the guys who can play at this level or, you know, or at least look like they can play at this level. And then the, the, the assistants are going to go through that stuff and decide whether a guy can really help us win championships at this level. Um, and so, they're, so they're, they watch uh, just hours and hours of film. What we see on the sites, the highlights, the actual coaches are not really so much interested in the highlights. When I'm watching, it, when I'm watching film on a guy to de- determine how much of a player he is, really it's the non-highlight stuff I want to see. It is frankly, I get more out of watching a guy. So, like when you have two two P five level guys on the same team, I want to watch the other guy uh, highlight film to see the, the, the what the guy does when he's non highlight plays. Okay, does he take plays off? Uh, what are his bad What are his bad plays look like? Quite frankly, so when we look at highlight films on uh, on online on Huddle and what's what's such. Coaches have to look at whole game films to determine the really top and bottom level for for a player. And what we see as highlights, it can be somewhat helpful, but I don't think it's super helpful to be perfectly honest. Yeah, that's a good breakdown. Uh, 
like you said, it, it's pared down so much before it even gets to the position coaches. And then, yeah, what they're looking at is game film and not necessarily what you're seeing on our site. And, uh, you know, Danny Langsdorf, the new quarterbacks coach, was on with Mark Johnson on a podcast, and he talked about that it takes a long time to really evaluate, especially a quarterback, because not only do you want to see what throws they can make, but you want to see what system they're in. What are they asked to do? What type of, you know, checks can they make at at the line of scrimmage? Uh, There's so much that goes into that. Um, In terms of the head coach having veto power, I mean, that's always the case. I mean, if Carl Durrell doesn't want a guy, they're not going to sign him. There are some coaches that will give their assistants more leeway with extending offers. Mike McIntyre once told me, unless you see that the offer came via a phone conversation with me, it's not a legit conversation. So he was a micromanager in that sense. Mel Tucker, not quite as much, although he was very involved in recruiting. We've seen early on with Carl Durrell that these assistants have had some power to go out there and extend offers. Uh, Coach Rod has extended offers. Uh, Chris Wilson has. Uh, Demetrius Martin has offered, re-offered a lot of the guys he was after at Arizona. So uh, at the end of the day, obviously, Carl Durrell has ultimate veto power, but he has given these coaches, the assistant coaches, uh, some, uh, some leeway there. And just to, to finish off this, this topic is if you're an assistant coach and you're, you're – putting offers out there based on highlight tapes, you're not going to have your job very long. Right. Well, and the other thing is, you know, you, you can watch all the film in the world, and like you mentioned, you kind of touched on this, sometimes you don't see what you need to see. And, you know, maybe, the, maybe, maybe a, well, let, let's, let's say you're looking at an offensive lineman from Columbine High School in Denver, right? They don't throw the ball. So you don't know whether that kid can pass block or not. So sometimes you've got to go actually see him in person you know, and, and there's some, you know, I've shown you some tests that I can show it to, to it almost immediately tell if a kid is a knee bender and has the flexibility to play at this level. So sometimes you got to see them with your own eyes, and sometimes you got to wait till their senior year to see what you need to see uh, to, to see it all. So the answer to the question is they watch more game film than you could possibly imagine to develop the, the list of kids they're making offers to. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. C.S. Buff asked, can we get another Hawkins story? Maybe you could do some sort of uh, Hawkins Chronicles piece in the future. Sadly, hearing stories about that idiot is the only solace we have from his <laughs> tenure. <laughs> well, there, there was one that came into my mind. i got to be quick. Again, i got to get going here. But uh, I remember one time there was – whenever fights broke out in practice under Dan Hawkins, he would stop practice, he would bring the whole team over, and they would do 15 gassers, one for every yard that would cost them – in a game. And I remember oh, one time George, George Hippolyte just lost it. And he was screaming across the field as they're doing these gassers. And he's going, you're making us soft. You're making us soft. We're not going to do this in a game. You got to let us hash it out in practice, blah, blah, blah. And Dan Hawkins kicked George Hippolyte out of practice. And he did not stop talking as he was going, leaving the practice field. So that's one more story. <laughs> and I agree with George on that. You, you got to let these, you got to right. let boys be boys at times in practice. And yeah, it gets to a certain point and you've got to stop it, but you've got to let them, especially right. in camp, they're going against each other every day. You've got to allow them to have kind of that edge to them. You go into games and again, right. to George Hippolyte's point there in practice, you're going to be soft. Well, and then just to, just to reflect that back to the Bill McCartney era, you know, I mean, I remember being, all so many times down in practice on the field, and we'd be going seven on seven, hard goal line. You just knock people head to head, and fights would happen. And I don't remember Bill McCartney ever having a problem with that. You know, now if you did it in the game and cost us fifteen yards, you're going to be in trouble. But I don't remember him ever having a problem with that in practice because that's what the game is. It's toughness, and it's guys going after each other. And sometimes you lose your temper, and and that's okay. No doubt. And- SVD buff asked any word on the new Ralphie Taylor Stratton has replaced John Graves as the Ralphie program manager. Uh, Graves announced he's moving on in late February. Stratton was a Ralphie handler as a student and he's been Graves assistant coach the last four years. So he takes over that program and uh, yeah, they've been working with a new Ralphie that was born last April. They hope to have her ready to go for the football season, but uh, there was a quote, I think it was in the Boulder daily camera where uh, Stratton, the new Ralphie, uh, program manager said, hey, we're, we're on her timetable. When she's ready to go, we'll go with her. So uh, th- that's the latest there. We don't have uh, – it's going to be Ralphie uh, 6, obviously, but we don't have 
you know, the nickname or any of that stuff that will come with time. And so right. we'll see. Uh, and then Optimus Prime Buff asked a basketball question. I'm planning to do a basketball-focused podcast with Jake here in the near future, so we'll tackle that. Then, William, i got to get running here, but it was great catching up with you, hopefully sometime soon. It's, it's crazy. Our last show I, I mentioned was March 6th. That was, we did that at the Blake Street Tavern. And I remember that. We talked right. about how crazy the previous month was because the month before right. that, we recorded a, a show at Blake Street Tavern with, when Mel Tucker was still the coach. So it's been right. a crazy two months and I guess about a week now. And so hopefully – the next show things are starting to kind of get back to a little bit of normalcy, but uh, it's hard to even imagine that's going to be the case. So, uh, but, but it was great uh, talking with you. Obviously it's much better doing these shows when we can sit uh, with our equipment and and be in the same area and, and catch up, uh, you know, on everything else. But uh, I really appreciate you for taking the time out. Maybe we can do uh, another one of these podcasts here before too long. Well, I sure appreciate you asking me and I'm, I really enjoyed it. So I love doing it whenever you, uh, can find time to do it. Let's keep knocking them out. Awesome. Thanks, William. And, and thanks to all of you for tuning in, submitting questions. Obviously, uh, we're having to get creative with content, but uh, I appreciate all you guys for your support, for still stay, staying subscribed and still logging on to buffstampede.com every day. It means the world to me. And so, again, hopefully we get back to some normalcy here soon. But, uh, again, thanks for tuning in.